When I was a senior in high school, I read a book by a man named Harold Morris. Harold was uh, one of these guys who, in high school, got into the wrong crowd, fell into a very wild group of folks, into drugs and alcohol, immorality, all kinds of stuff going on in his in his life, and then it kind of culminated his his uh, fall when he took a couple of his friends to the supermarket. They were going to do a quick robbery, get in, get out. Someone ended up getting shot, and they died. Harold Morris was driving the getaway car, and they, the three of them took off, he and his two friends. They took off, and Eventually, the law caught up to them, and when the law caught up to them, his two friends said that Harold was the one who went into the supermarket and shot and killed the clerk. With that, he went to court and was sent to the Georgia State Penitentiary. In the penitentiary, he was so embarrassed, he isolated himself, and did not even let his family know where he was. He just felt like, I have embarrassed my family name, I have embarrassed myself. His family did find him, and they came to visit him, affirming their love for him, and then they sent a friend. He was a war veteran, but more than that, he knew Jesus as Savior. And he came, and he explained how Harold Morris could be forgiven of the things he had done wrong. And he gave him a Bible. And on that day, Morris began to read his Bible. And not long after, came to an understanding and faith in Jesus. And with that faith in Jesus, his life changed. His life drastically changed. The folks in the penitentiary noticed and all of the guards and then the administration all began to notice. And so, after a while, they began to let Harold Morris go out with another police officer and they would take the handcuffs off and he would go into a high school in Georgia and talk about the dangers of alcohol and drugs and poor choices and and friends that can lead you down the wrong direction. And he began to do that and eventually he was let out of prison. And he went to Bible college and then began to share his testimony throughout the country. And then that moment came when the governor of Georgia pardoned him. The book's name is Twice Pardoned. He was forgiven by God and then he was forgiven by the state of Georgia. You know, as we think about the joy of knowing the one true God, There is great hope and mercy in him. And because of that, he is the God of second chances. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. We pick up together in verse number 1 as we think about running with God. Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse number 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was a an extremely great city, a three-day walk. 
Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoings. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them, threatened them with, and he did not do it. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth and ask God that you would take these next few moments and drive the truth home in our life. In your name we pray. Amen. As we come to this time of year and we think about uh, our graduates, we understand and recognize that with graduation from high school and graduation from college, there there is a newfound adventure. There is a new opportunity and often a new freedom to pursue a path for your life. There is the, the loosening of parental ties that comes as you get older, and there are new adventures and new opportunities that come before you. And what we learn from Jonah is, is it's always best to listen to God when he presents his plan for our life. In Jonah chapter one, we find that in verses one through three, Jonah speaks to, uh, God speaks to Jonah and says, look, Jonah, you need to go to the great city of Nineveh. Its wickedness has come out, uh, come up against, uh, against them. And Jonah says, you know what? I really don't want to go to Nineveh. And so he decides instead of following God, he is going to run from God. And so the first chapter is filled with Jonah going down to the city of Joppa and then down into a boat as he heads for Tarshish. And then they hit uh, a terrible storm. And then Jonah goes down into the water and Without knowing what was going to happen, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And so we come to the end of Jonah 1 and running from God. In Jonah 2, we find Jonah in the belly of this fish. And now he's running to God. He's crying out to God saying, Lord, look, in my distress, I'm crying out to you. God, hear me. Lord, you have been good and you have been faithful. And Lord, I recognize that your faithfulness has extended to me and your goodness to me. And Lord, I now am going to fulfill what you have committed and called me to do. Salvation is of the Lord. And Lord, I'm going to follow your plan. And that's what happens in Jonah too. And then the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. So we have Jonah running from God and Jonah running to God. And in Jonah chapter 3, we find him, Jonah, running with God. For the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. 
And this time, there is no debate and there is no argument and there is no disobedience. What we find is that Jonah is now a man on a mission to follow God's will and to do what God has instructed him to do. When we look at the book of Jonah, it truly is a book that shows God's heart for the world, but it also shows God's heart for Jonah. It's a book that shows God's grace to Jonah and shows God's grace to Nineveh. This is a great picture of God's heart and God's grace for all people and even for a backslidden prophet. I don't know where you are today, but I can tell you this for sure. If you're trying to run from God, you, you might be able to do that for a while. You might be able to do it for a long while, but you'll never find the joy, peace, purpose, fulfillment that's inside and that's in your vertical relationship while you're doing that. Some of you may have run from God and now you find yourself in the belly of a fish or some difficult circumstance because you just haven't walked and done what God wanted you to do and I will tell you today that Jonah reminds us that our God is the God of second chances. So let's think together about running with God and what does that mean? I want to give you three thoughts. First off, running with God means that I am moving in obedience to God, that I am moving with this sense of obedience to God. Jonah has heard the call, and now he decides, listen, I am not going to run this time. I'm going to follow what God has called me to do. So we see the recommission of Jonah. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is the recommission of God upon Jonah's life. This is God offering Jonah a second chance. And I am so thankful that God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 50th chances at times in our life. That God is the God who will give us a a new opportunity. He doesn't always do that, but many times he gives us a new opportunity. When we look at the scripture. We look at the greatest leader in the Old Testament. We look at Moses. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. And at the age of 40, the book of Acts tells us that he really began to think that, hey, God's raised me in Pharaoh's house to bring deliverance. And so there's an Egyptian that's beating an Israelite. So I'm going to go kill that guy. And he kills him and he hides his body. And then he ends up fleeing from Egypt altogether. 40 years later, at the age of 80, God gives Moses a second chance. He speaks to him through a burning bush and says, go, let, and I want you to free my people. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. David, the great leader who was a king after God's own heart, fails miserably with Bathsheba as he commits adultery and then basically hires uh, and and, uh, instructs the leadership in the army to pull back from Uriah so that Uriah is then killed by the enemy. So basically, immorality and murder are now facing David. And yet he finds that God gave him forgiveness and grace and a second chance. A few weeks back, we looked at Peter, who denied the Lord three times 
I don't know him. You're with Jesus. I don't know him. Even coming to the point of cursing, saying, I do not know Jesus. I don't have anything to do with this guy. And in John 21, Jesus would come back to Peter and ask him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter would stand and preach before a a great audience in Jerusalem and 3,000 people would come to know Jesus as Savior. He was given another chance. We also see this in the life of John Mark. He was one who went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And somehow along the way, John Mark thought, man, this is either too hard, the stress is too high, this is too difficult, I can't handle it, and he leaves. He deserts him. And in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are together, and they have an argument over John Mark because Barnabas wants to give him a second chance. And Paul says, I'm not giving second chances. And so Paul goes off with Silas, and Barnabas teams up with Mark, and they go their separate ways in their mission of fulfilling the great command and the great commission. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11, While Paul is in prison and near his death, he says, send John Mark, for he is useful for me. Even Paul realized that sometimes people just need the grace to have a second chance. So there's the recommissioning. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And some of you today, this may be your... 202,000 times that you've heard it. You felt God speaking and God moving. And I want to tell you, there, that it's not too late to respond if the Lord's still speaking, but there may come a day when the Lord just speaks no more. The recommissioning of God. And then we see the response of Jonah. The recommission, God has recommissioned him. And then how does Jonah respond? It says that Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So there was the response of obedience in Jonah's life that he got up and he says, look, I am going. I am going to follow God. I'm going to do what he has called me to do. Running with God means that that I'm walking in obedience to him. Second thing that we find in this passage is is running with God not only means that I'm moving in obedience to God, but secondly, it means that I am speaking the truth of God. Because notice what happens in this passage as we find that, that the Lord calls Jonah to get up. It says this in verse number two, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. God has a message for Nineveh. And let me tell you today, God has a message for our world. What is that message? Well, Jonah has this message summed up in five Hebrew words. It takes about seven or eight English words. But basically, it is a word of judgment to the city of Nineveh that says in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. So there's a word of judgment. And let me tell you, God has a message to our world today, and that message has two parts to it. First off, there is a message of judgment that God has toward our world today. That God is just, and God is holy, as we have just sung. 
And so that just as Nineveh's wickedness comes up before the Lord, our wickedness as a nation comes before the Lord as well. And we notice that that God, as he looks down upon Nineveh and says that its wickedness comes up, he has this message that says, in 40 days, you are going to be demolished. The word demolished or the word destroyed that is used there is the same word that is used in Genesis 19.25 when it comes to God's destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is a, a weighty word. For for 40 days, he's going to walk around this city, they think is about 60 miles in circumference, and he's going to be preaching this message. 40 days and Nineveh will be demolished. 40 days. Now, that's all we know of his message. That's all we know. I uh, taught preaching at, at Missouri Baptist in the fall, and... When you have an assignment or a preaching assignment, if someone would have just come up and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be demolished, they would not have gotten a good grade in my class. I mean, there's there's no introduction, there's no conclusion, there are no points, there's no transition. It's just this one phrase, 40 days and you will be demolished, you'll be destroyed. 40 days. That's it. That is all the message we know. And I will say again, we have to understand that there is a message of judgment that all of us need to be aware of, that God will judge. It tells us in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is already being revealed against ungodliness in the world in which we live. There is a sense in which God's judgment is coming down around us upon the world that is around us. But there is a greater judgment that is yet to come. And to think in our world today that we can get away with violence like they did and barbaric activity like they did in Nineveh, he would say their great wickedness comes up against me. They were in violence and and greed and and idolatry. And we look around us today and we think of the violence and we think of things like uh, abortion and we think of God's standard as it has been set for us that that life is precious because God gave it. And God created male and female. And God created marriage between a man and a woman. And we find that these are the things that are under attack around us and God is is going to show himself just and will bring judgment. But there is another side to the message here that Jonah, we don't know about. For our world today, we know that there is a message of judgment, but we also know that there is a message of Jesus. And the message of Jesus says, I have already taken the wrath. I have already taken God's judgment on my self when I went to the cross. And now you can experience forgiveness and eternal life. There is a message of judgment. There's a message of judgment that every person needs to be aware of. They might think they're getting away with it now. And they might shake their, their fist in the hand of God now. But they will not have the last word. God will. We find God has a message for the world. And as we think about that, we also find that people are then going to react to that message. That when we are 
speaking the truth of God, that God does have a a very keen interest in the people's reaction. Notice in verse number five, then the people of Nineveh believed God. It's interesting, Jonah was a preacher, a prophet to the northern tribes of Israel. The northern tribes of Israel would have known the story. I mean, this was, this was God's chosen people. They would have known the story of Adam and Eve. They would have known the story of Noah. They would have known the story of Moses. This was their This is their people. This is their life. This is their history. And Jonah, as he's preaching to the northern kingdom, we get no sense of anybody responding to him. We see no revival in Israel. The people all know about God, but they're not believing or following God with all of their heart. And as far as we see in Scripture, in the northern tribes of Israel, during Jonah's preaching, we find no one making a decision to say, yes, I believe God. Yes, I'm going to follow him. Then we come to Nineveh. And in Nineveh, the people believed God. And what do they begin to do? They begin to pour out their hearts with this sense of mourning and repentance. They begin to cry out and they begin to put on sackcloth and they begin to sit in ashes and they're in mourning before the Lord because they know they're guilty and they know they deserve God's judgment and they're crying out. And then it's not only the people. Notice the people believed God, but then notice what happens in verse number six. It tells us in verse 5 that there's a fast. The greatest of them from the least are fasting. They're crying out to God. Verse 6, when the word reached the king, he got up and he takes off his royal robes. And he's saying, look, sackcloth is going to be the close of the day. Burlap is in now. We are going to come before the Lord and we are going to put down ourselves, and we're going to come to a place of mourning. We're going to come to a place of repentance. We're going to come to a place of humility before God. He declares a fast. And listen, it's interesting. No person or animal, herd or flock. He even includes the animals. They can't eat. They don't drink water. They're going to cover themselves with sackcloth and they're going to sit, not in royal robes anymore. Now he is sitting. He has taken off the royal robes. He's put on the sackcloth, the burlap, and he's sitting in ashes. What a sign. What a response. I wonder today how many people fully understand the greatness and the magnitude of our God, that when God would speak to them, they say, Lord, I can't stay this way anymore. I had a friend who was an evangelist, and he said, you know, every time I go to a church and I leave that church, people always want to ask, how many decisions were made? How many decisions were made? How many decisions were made? And he said, let me tell you what. I go to a church, everybody makes a decision. Now, most people make the decision not to do anything, but everybody makes a decision. And I wonder how many times have we heard God tell us and God speak to us and the Spirit move in us. And instead of saying, oh, God, you are the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who sent the Lord Jesus Christ, who showed grace upon me. Instead, we just say, "Eh, God's plan, my plan, huh? I'll just take mine. I'll do what I want. These people, they responded broken before God. Running with God means I'm moving in obedience and I'm speaking the truth. 
And then third, running with God means that I'm trusting the hand of God. I'm trusting the hand of God. I'm just to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm to go and share. I'm to go and speak. I'm to live the life. I'm to be where God wants me to be. I'm to speak what God wants me to speak. And then I just leave everything to him at that point. It's all his. How people react is all on them. Heard the story about a guy who really liked, liked the, a, a girl and he was going up and trying to make a proposal to her and said, you know, I love you more than anyone or anything else in the whole wide world. And I'm sorry that I, I don't have a sports car like Johnny Brown and I don't wear a Rolex and my family has not given me millions in inheritance, but I love you. And she said, well, I love you too, but tell me a little bit more about this Johnny Brown. It's kind of like, yeah, that sounds good, but here, we just trust God. And we say, Lord, how people react and how people respond is all yours. Now, notice with me in verse number 10. God saw their actions. God saw their actions. You know, we have to understand that we not only think in that sense of God saw their actions to the fact of today, God sees our actions. That should bring us a level of conviction. God sees my actions. God knows what's going on in my life. It it should bring a sense of conviction. It should bring a sense of confidence. God sees my actions. When I stand, when I serve, and no one else notices, and no one else applauds, and no one else gives me a pat on the back, God sees my actions. And it brings me a sense of comfort. That when I am trying to trust God, and I'm laying in a hospital bed getting wheeled into surgery, that God sees and God knows, and that God is with me. God saw their actions. God saw their repentance. God saw their heart. God knew what was going on in their life. And then the Bible tells us that as God saw their actions, that God relented from judgment and destruction. Notice with me in verse number 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster He had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Their past actions were plenty enough to justify God destroying them. The things they had done in the past. But now God reaches out with grace. F.B. Meyer was a pastor, preacher, and the late... 1800s into the early 1900s. And he gives this picture of of when we're walking against God's will, we're going against the wind. And as we go against the wind, the wind opposes us and the wind is blowing after us. And we're trying to push forward in our own strength and trying to accomplish things with our own uh, will and mind and education and force. And when we do that, we're continued just to push against God's will. But when we find that we turn, we find the wind now blowing at our back. And we now find that there's strength 
there's a new confidence. If you are a runner and you have run, running into the wind or running with the wind are two very, very different things. And Myers says, it's not that the wind changed, but that the people changed. And when God saw their actions and their heart and that they turned, he didn't destroy them, but he sent them on with strength and life. Today, some of you may not feel like you're under the judgment of God. You're not in the belly of a fish, but you're moving against the wind. The wind, the pneuma, the spirit of God. And as you're moving in that direction against him, you're not getting done what God wants you to get done. And you're not experiencing that lift in life that he wants to give us through the Holy Spirit. Here's the key. We need to run with God. With that, let's pray. I don't know where you are today. But if you're here and you have never trusted Jesus personally, I want to challenge you today. Jesus has paid the penalty. He's taken the judgment that you deserve for your sin. And now he has risen from the dead after taking our punishment on the cross. And he offers us the free gift of eternal life. If you've never trusted Jesus, some of you today are just plotting against God's will. God's just speaking to you. He's just speaking to you today. And he's saying, look, how long? How long? Man, I can change your life. I can change your relationships. I can change. I'm I'm not here to ruin your life. I'm here to give you life. Today, I want to ask, are you running with God? Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, may we be people who know Jesus and run in your will. In your name.